good job. <laughs> it took me like two minutes to calm the first service down. It was crazy. Anyways. All right, well, as Dave said, I'm not feeling so great, but I, I, God gave me energy to get through the first service, so it's actually appropriate that I'm not feeling very well for the passage we're going to be in this morning, which you'll see in a minute why that makes sense. But where I want to start this morning is talking about something that we all face, every single one of us in this room at some point in our lives, whether in an intense way or maybe a smaller way, we all face pressure at some point in our lives, right? All of us, whether it's the accountant who it's the middle of the night on April 15th and he still has dozens of more returns to do, pressure, right? Or whether it's the salesman who has missed his target for three straight months and he's got a family he's got to feed, pressure. Or the student, finals week, and just feeling like I can't get through this, pressure, late nights. Or just the, the parent with there's just not enough hours in the day to do everything I got to do, pressure. It's, it's common to all of us. Some can handle it better than others. But sometimes there's pressure that is way beyond everyday kind of pressure. Back in the 80s, uh, there was a baseball pitcher named Donnie Moore. Pitched for the California Angels, and he, he ended up falling apart at the ninth inning against the Red Sox in a playoff game, and the Angels lost and didn't go to the World Series. He got voluminous hate mail from the Angels fans because of it. And that was a direct uh, cause to not too long after that taking his own life. And all he said was, I'm sorry. Baseball. He couldn't handle the pressure. I think about what Vanessa Bryan is going through right now. The death of Kobe and Gianna, her husband and, and daughter, right? So tragic. Totally unprepared for this. Came out of nowhere. Sometimes the pressure that comes to us isn't, has nothing to do with us. It's just life circumstances that we're not ready for. So some pressure is, is just more intense, almost unbearable than others. Some can handle it. Some can't. What kind of pressure are you under this morning? What kind of pressure are you feeling? Are you handling it? How? That's where we're going this morning. Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Mark 14. We're in a sermon series on the Gospel of Mark. The series is entitled, Jesus More Than Enough. And he has proven himself to be so with everything that came his way. But boy, this passage this morning, it's, he almost isn't enough. And you'll see what I mean. I've entitled the passage, The Olive Press. Jesus is going to get pressed this morning. Beyond what any human being should, should have to bear. This is the most human picture of Jesus we have in the entire scripture. We're going to see him in his full humanity today. And I hope you're as odd as I've been all week long just studying this passage about our great Savior. Mark 14. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter declared, well, even if all fall away, I, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered today, yes, tonight. 
before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Let's just pause for a moment. Oh, Lord. Lord, it's been a weird week. On the one hand, it's been such a worshipful experience to study the passage we're looking at this morning. But on the other hand, it's so painful. And Lord, I know in this room, there are people going through really painful things. Tremendous pressure. And I'm not even sure they can bear up under it. Lord Jesus, thank you that we'll see this morning that we can come to you with that because you know what it's like to be under pressure and you know how to deliver those who are under pressure. Help us to come to you and give you our cares. Lead us, Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer. Amen. Context. <clears throat> if you remember last week, as Cliff said, Jesus had a final supper with his disciples, the Passover Seder. And during that, I, I shared how Jesus redefined the Seder, and in particular, the four cups that are they're central to the Seder uh, ceremony. For those who weren't here, these four cups represent the four promises of God Yahweh to the children of Israel when they left Egypt. Four promises he made to them. He said, first of all, I will deliver you. I will free you. I will redeem you with the blood of a lamb so that you won't lose your life. And that was the whole Passover firstborn thing. And then the last cup was the cup of, you will be my people, I will be your God. We will live together in harmony at some point in a restored kingdom. Those are the four cups. And I stated last week, that Jesus redefines these cups, especially the third one. He says, it's not going to be the blood of a lamb anymore that's going to redeem you. It's going to be my body, my blood. And then I suggested he never drank the fourth cup. I think he's going to wait till he returns to drink that fourth cup at his wedding to his bride, the church. So we're on this third cup. It's the cup of suffering. And that's where we are. And we want to rush ahead to the risen, right? When I watch a movie, I want to get ahead to the good part. I want to get ahead to the resolution. I don't like the tension of things not being right. But we got to stay there a little bit. And today we have to live there a bit. We need to, to join him in the fellowship of his sufferings. And that's what we're going to do this morning. He tells them during that dinner that someone's going to betray them. And they're shocked. Who's going to betray them to, to you know, to the to religious leaders who want to kill them? Who, who? They don't think it's any of them. Of course, we know it's Judas. At the end of the night, they left. They went out into the darkness. They went down into the Kidron Valley, across the Kidron Ravine, and then down over to the Mount of Olives, and they sang a hymn before they left. And as they were going, Jesus told them more difficult, sobering news, which we just read. He says, by the way, not only is there one who will betray me to to an enemy, but you're all going to fall away. You're you're all going to desert me. Another form of betrayal. What, are you serious? What? And then he uses a verse from the Old Testament. 
to say, you're going to fulfill this prophecy from Zechariah 13. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now, I want to just ask you, talk to me now. Look at that verse from Zechariah 13. Jesus says, you're going to fulfill this. Who is I? I will strike the shepherd. Who's striking the shepherd? Who's I? Who's speaking? God. Who's the shepherd? Jesus. Who are the scattered sheep? The disciples, right? I is God. Now, that's hard for us to get our heads around. What do you mean God's going to strike his own son? But the scripture says God's not the author of evil. Isn't that an evil thing to strike Jesus? How do we make sense of this? Well, now listen to me. The Hebrews knew the Old Testament so well because they read it, listened to it being read constantly. They would know the reference. Zechariah is a well-loved book in this time because it's an end times book, and they think they're in the end times. Zechariah was found in Qumran a lot with the people who were waiting for the, for the end to come, and they think Messiah is here. And so this is a book they'd be familiar with, okay? Look at the context of Zechariah 13. Here's what it actually says. Awake, sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd. So God speaks to the sword. He uses something that's going to be an, an implement of, of punishment to strike the shepherd. And the sheep will be scattered, and I'll turn my hand against the little ones. If you just read that, it's like, well, that's not good. God seems to be mean here. But what's the end result? Here's the last verse in that entire section. The, the, the prophecy ends with this. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. And they, the ones who were scattered, will call on my name and I will answer them. And I will say, they are my people and they will say, the Lord is our God. In other words, that fourth cup. That, and in other words, what is he saying? He's saying, I'm going I'm to allow the sword to strike the shepherd. God's not the author of evil. Scripture makes that clear. But God works in the background. And he's able to work his sovereign plan. Even in the midst of the evil choices of men, he, he works among all of that to bring about his purposes. He's going to bring about his ultimate purposes that these ones who are scattered ultimately are going to be regathered. They're not going to be scattered forever. It's a temporary falling away. And they eventually will be brought back together in that, that picture of when Messiah returns and there's no more pain, no more suffering, and we're together with him in consummation. You're my God, I'm your, we are your people. So he's going to use a difficulty, and some of you have, and me, we've experienced difficulty in our lives, and we ask ourselves, God, where are you? Have you ever asked that question? God, do you care about me? Hello, I've been praying, why aren't you answering? Anybody ever struggle with that? The scripture says God's working all things for good, and that's not just a coffee mug quote. That's the true and perfect word of God promise from Almighty Father. He is working it out. In the, in, when you can't, an old saying, that is a coffee mug quote, if you can't see his hand, trust his heart. Sometimes we can't see his hand, but we can trust his heart. He's trustworthy. He's working through this terrible thing and this scattering but it's, it's for the ultimate end of bringing them together. And actually, Jesus believes this about the Father because look where, what he says right after quoting Zechariah 28. It's almost like re-speaking Zechariah 13, 9. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. What's he saying? The scattering's not the end. I'm going to rise. I'm going to be struck, yes, but I'm going to rise, and I believe it. And 
I will meet with you in Galilee, which means what about the scattered disciples? They're going to come back. It's just temporary. Jesus believes the Father even in the midst of the worst pressure. And we need to do the same. He's trustworthy, even when it's hard. The big picture, Jesus has it. The disciples, not so much. Now, when Peter hears, Jesus says, you're going to be stri strike the shepherd, scattered. But listen, I'm going to rise and meet you in Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Notice how he doesn't talk about the risen. He doesn't talk about the meeting in Galilee. Galilee's a big place. Where exactly in Galilee are we going to meet you? He doesn't even reference that. It's like he didn't even hear that. It's like all will fall away, and it, that's all he hears. That's all he ever talks about. It's the only thing he responds to. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get bad news, that's all I, I like, don't even hear the rest of it. I'm so shocked. And so Peter just goes, he just latches on to the bad news. What do you mean? Well, I'll fall away. Well, I'll not. Notice what he's saying that. Well, even if these bozos fall away, I won't, right? They may fall away, but <laughs> no, 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 no. Not me. And then Jesus says, truly, I tell you, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, which is a way of saying before daylight, all right, during the night, before daylight, you yourself, Mr. Boaster, will disown me three times. And Peter's emphatic, oh, even if I have to die. I mean, he goes full out. Now, now hear me. I think Peter is totally sincere. I think he means this. But he's talking way ahead of, of, he doesn't understand his own self. He's talking way ahead of, of what he's actually able to commit to. I don't know about you, Peter is impetuous, right? We always see Peter speaking and acting before thinking. That's me. Are you like that? Anyone like me? Now, my wife is not like that. She ponders and thinks before she says or does anything. I want to be more like my wife. Me? Soon as, as soon as I think or feel something, I want to woof. That's Peter. And what ends up happening when we do that is we run way ahead where the grace of God has given us power and strength to go. We promise beyond what we've got the power to do. If we would pause and say, Lord, <laughs> where am I first before I make any commitments? But we do that. We overpromise all the time. We're too eager to please. So he way, 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 he doesn't even understand himself. When I was going through my Bible, I had a note handwritten in. I, I don't know where it came from. It was my thought or maybe from a sermon. Whatever it was, I thought it was a good quote. This is the quote. It said, when you boast too much, you pray too little and act too fast. When you boast too much, you pray too little and act too fast. How do you tell if you're walking by pride? Just look at your prayer life. Look at how quickly you're acting. That will tell us if we're living in our own strength or his. Pride and humility. Peter's going to do this to the nth degree, as you'll see. All right, so this conversation happens in the dark as they're making their way down the, ravine, down the, the valley, over the ravine, over into the Mount of Olives, and then we pick up verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here, while I pray. So Jesus is 20 hours away from being dead. 20 hours from being dead. And yet he makes time to go pray. 
I don't know about you, but when I don't have a lot of time, prayer isn't always the first place I go with the limited time I have. That's what Jesus wants to do in this limited uh, little window he has. He goes to where he always prays. This place called Gethsemane. It's an olive grove. Now, there are many uh, olive groves in the Mount of Olives, and no one knows for sure which is the actual garden he went to. There's even some who propose a cave, the cave of Gethsemane, and that it was in there. Who knows? But there's one place that they always take you as a tourist, and, and they say that it is the garden that Jesus prayed in. So here it is. I went there two years ago. It says, you know, Garden of Gethsemane here. And this is a plaque right here. It says, Holy place. Here Jesus began his passion, suffered, sweated blood. And this, you know, it's right on a regular street. You go through, off the street, in through these gates, and all of a sudden you're in a different place. You're in this olive tree grove with this narrow uh, broken rock path, and it's all overgrown. It's, it's almost, and it, just picture this, we're around 10 p.m. right now in the story. Picture this in the middle of the night. They're already feeling very tense because of everything that's gone on already tonight, and now they're in this eerie place in the middle of the night. By the way, these trees are over 1,000 years old, these olive trees. Um, none of them date to the time of Jesus, although they do think they are probably sprouts off the trees from Jesus' day, so that's kind of interesting. When you go there as a tourist, they usually do a communion service there, and I was fortunate because the rabbi who did it is the one and only rabbi I happen to know in Jerusalem, <laughs> Lawrence Blumenthal right here, and his wife, and uh, so that was nice to have him do it. So he had me lead worship. One of the greatest privileges of my life to lead worship in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was just powerful. And, uh, and then we did a communion service, and they gave us these little cups made out of olive wood. You can come look at it later if you want, and you know, and you did communion, and it's very moving. And then you get to keep this as a little keepsake. But you know, when I look at this cup, all I can think of is, this is nothing like the cup Jesus had when he went to Gethsemane. I went on a tourist trip to enjoy myself. That's not the kind of trip Jesus is on. Let's take a look at his, his experience. He said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. So he kind of drops them off on one part of the garden, and then he took his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, along with him, went deeper into the garden, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And he says to these three, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here. And keep watch. We have no idea what this experience is like. But there's things that stand out to me. First of all, he takes his three closest friends with him. Now, several commentators said they think this is just, he doesn't need them. He's God, after all. He's just bringing them because he's going to teach them about prayer or something. They need to learn something. Honestly, I, my opinion is they're missing the boat. Look at the words in this passage. This is not Jesus in teacher mode. This is Jesus in suffering mode. And his humanity, don't downplay his humanity. I think he needs his friends. He wants his friends near him. He has friends. Just like we need friends. We can't bear under pressure on our own. 
Isolation doesn't work. We go to isolation because we're, we're safe in isolation. We think we're safe. We've been burned by people. So we say, well, then I'm not going to trust in anyone anymore, and we stay in isolation. And all it does is it gives the enemy opportunity to speak lies and accusation. We need faithful friends that can correct our thinking and our minds and our hearts. And I'm not saying that in this case Jesus was, was needing him to that extent, but I'm still saying in his humanity he wanted his friends near him in his moment of anguish and suffering. It's important that we understand he was fully human. Because that means when we go to him with our olive press moments, he understands. He really does. For years I used to think, he doesn't really understand. I mean, come on, he was God. He, was, he couldn't sin. He doesn't know. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Look at these words. Highly unusual Greek words. You rarely find them. And, and they boom, 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 Mark writes them. It's to catch our attention. Look at this. And the, the disciples have never seen him like this. He began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Remember, this, this is the Jesus who walked on water. This is, this is the Jesus who raised the dead. This is the Jesus who confronted demons. They've never seen him deeply distressed and troubled like this. He's being transparent to them. Look at these words, deeply distressed. It's ek thambeo. And it means to be moved to a relatively intense emotional state because of something causing great surprise or perplexity. It's to be very excited. I mean, it can be used for really good things. Woo! But the same word can be used on Vanessa Bryant. What? What? I'll never forget the morning after church in 2009 when I got the phone call that my dad died of a heart attack. Totally unprepared for that. One, one commentator said, this, this, this word describes a profound disarray. Have you ever had a situation? I know some of you can't relate to what I'm talking about. You've never experienced anything like this, but boy, I know a lot of you have. Have you ever faced a situation, pressure in your life, where it feels like total disarray? It's never going to be right. It's never going to be right. Disarray. Profound. What's really fascinating, in the Greek language, there's a thing called the voice. It tells you who is doing the action of the verb. This is in the passive voice. What does that mean? It means that this depth of emotional disarray, Jesus doesn't do it. It's something done to him. In other words, he walks into that garden fairly strong. But somehow, sometime in that garden, he gets overwhelmed with this sense of distress. Like when I got that call about my dad, all of a sudden I was overwhelmed with a sense of distress. Ever been there? Overwhelmed. Oh, this happens to Jesus. He doesn't do it. It happens to him. How does he respond? It's the next verb. He was deeply distressed and troubled. Here's the word troubled, adomoneo. It's to be despondent, total anguish. It's to be or become subject to extreme mental or spiritual anguish and distress, sometimes to the point of losing one's composure. Doesn't he even say, I'm overwhelmed to the point of death? He's on the verge of losing himself. And those movies like The Passion of the Christ shows this really well. 
He is falling apart. He's on a thread in his humanity. Don't, don't miss that. He knows our weakness. That's why he's such a good Savior. Gracious Savior. This is in the active voice, which means what? This is him doing. This wave of distress hits him, and how does he respond? He responds with anguish, dread. I would even say fear. You say, well, no, God, Jesus wouldn't fear. He's God. Fear isn't always wrong, just like anger isn't always wrong. We're going to see God's anger in a minute. We have no clue what facing the wrath of Almighty God is like. This is what he's going through. He then describes it, and he, he, he's feeling this, and they see it, and they're like, what is going on? And then he finally tells them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. Stay here with me. Keep watch. I need you. Overwhelmed with sorrow. Look at this word. It's the word perilupas, which combines... The, Peri, which means around, and lupas, which means pain or sorrow. In other words, I'm surrounded with pain and sorrow. It's like he's drowning in pain and sorrow. It, this is so intense. I can't put words to it. I, I can't find adequate words. But all week long in my office as I've been studying this, it's been just, honestly, I, I just kind of stop and cry and say, thank you, Lord. What a Savior. Why would you do this for me? I don't deserve this. What kind of love is this? I'm the one who put you in that place of suffering. And yeah, you, you drink that cup for me. You bear that cross for me. My God, who are you? It's been just touching my heart. I hope it touches yours. Going a little farther. So he leaves the three there, and then he goes a little farther. And at this point, he can't even stand anymore. He falls to the ground. And he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. This is really unusual. The Jews didn't pray on their knees. The Jews prayed standing up with their hands uplifted. 1 Timothy 2.8. Woman, everyone to lift holy hands in prayer. The only time someone fell to their knees in prayer is when they were in complete distress Complete distress. And we see it in the Gospels. All sorts of people are falling at Jesus' feet because they're in complete distress. They got nowhere to go. My, my son's going to die. To see Jesus falling on his face tells you the extent of his distress. Powerful. What is this immense weight that he's under? Luke adds to what he's going through. Take a look at Luke's description. He says, an angel from heaven appeared to him. I mean, he needs first aid and strengthened him. And I've never noticed this before, right? An angel appears to him, strengthens him, and you'd think, ah, he's ready to go. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Even after getting an actual appearance of an angel and getting strengthened, it's still so great that he's sweating drops of blood. What is so heavy on him? What is this thing that's so heavy? 
prays. Abba, Father. He said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. What the greatest prayer ever prayed. So much we can learn in this one verse. Abba, Father. Abba, by the way, so many preachers and books have said Abba means daddy. Can we just close that? No. Abba does not mean daddy. None of that. That's 21st Western love you stuff. That's not what that it means. Abba never meant daddy. Abba meant father. Now, having said that, it's not a cold father. To call someone father was deeply personal and intimate. And here's something you shouldn't miss. Abba doesn't mean daddy, but I will tell you this. Never before in any writings of the Jews do we ever see anyone addressing God as Abba. Never. This shows an intimacy with the Father that no other Jew ever knew or understood. Even in the midst of this severe trial, he is still personally connected to the Father. Oh, how we need intimacy with the Father. Oh, how we need intimacy with the Father if we're going to bear up. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. He acknowledges even in this moment where everything's going wrong, I still believe you can do anything. And if it's possible, take this cup from me. Take it, Lord. I don't want to drink this cup. Because he understands what that cup is. But not my will, your will be done. Total submission to the Father. Whatever the Father wants. Whatever the Father wants, it doesn't matter. Whatever you want, Father. My only reason to be alive is to honor my Father. But I don't want to go there, Lord. If there's any way, Father, please. What is this cup? The Old Testament talks about this cup in, in tons of passages. Let me just show you one from Jeremiah 25. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. And when they drink it, they'll stagger and go mad. Because of the sword I will send among them. Destruction. This is nothing less than the foaming cup of the wrath of a holy God upon human sin. The Bible is clear. Yes, God is love, but he's just. And because he's just, he will judge sin. But if that was the only thing we knew about God, none of us would have any hope. He's also love. And out of his love, he says, son, none of them can drink it and survive, but you can. Will you drink it? And in that cup of wrath is the sin of every human being ever born who will ever be born. Every, think about what I just said. Every lust, every greed, every rage and anger, every, every sin ever committed, the sins you're going to commit later today are in that cup. And someone's got to pay for it to uphold the justice of God. And if we show up before a holy God and we haven't accepted and received what Jesus did for us on that cross, we got to drink that, and it'll destroy us. Eternal damnation. We can't do it. We cannot handle the judgment of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if you think this is just, well, the Old Testament God is so mean, look at what the New Testament says. Hebrews, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
He's holy. We've offended him with our sin. Paul speaks of it this way. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Come on up, Rebecca. So that in him we might become the righteous of God. Pay attention to that. That verse summarizes the gospel, the good news. We don't have to drink that cup yet. Because God's son, who is righteous and holy, was willing to drink it for us. But to do that, he exposes himself to eternity of hells, eternity of eternal judgment. I can't even fathom what is the weight that's going to be upon him at this point. It's beyond comprehension. What's going on here is that Jesus is gone into the olive press. Gethsemane means olive press. Let me show you what an olive press is. Here's a picture of a, st a round stone. They would gather the olives, put them in this basin, and then if you can see this wooden uh, post, they would attach an animal, and the animal would walk around, and as he did, this round, heavy stone would go around and crush the olives. And then as the oil came out, it would come through this opening down, and there'd be a catch basin right here. It's gone now. There'd be a catch basin. Eventually, cape rolling, eventually there'd be no more oil. It doesn't mean there's no more olive oil in the olives. It just means that that stone isn't heavy enough to push out anymore. So at that point, they would take the, the, uh, the crushed olives, they would put them in these burlap bags. Take a look at the next picture. Here is a burlap bag. It's a thin, almost looks like a pancake. But you can fill it up with, with olives. And then they would stack those burlap bags like this. You see that? on this flat piece of, of stone, and, and then they would put a heavy weight on it, and as it would sit, the heavy weight would just, would just eventually press and press and press. Any oil left in that crushed olive flesh, any oil would come down into this catch basin and then down here. And by the time that heavy weight is done, there is nothing left in those olive flesh. Here, I want to show you the heavy stone. This is the heavy stone they would put on top of the, of the uh, burlap bags. That heavy stone was called a Gethsemane. So when the scripture says he went into the garden of Gethsemane, he went underneath the weight of the world's sin, pressing down upon him until every drop of life in him is going to be sucked out for the healing of you and me for the forgiveness of sin. This is the depth of the love of your Savior for you. He gets underneath the eternal wrath of God, suffers eternal wrath. I can't even get that in my head in time space thinking. Oh my, no wonder he doesn't want to go there. This is what he suffers. This is our Savior. And I don't know about you, but he is worthy of praise. He is worthy of praise. Not my will, but your will be done. I just want to stop here before I finish the passage and just take a moment to worship the Lord. Would you join me? <sighs> Having prayed for an hour. Verse 37. He returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. <sighs> Don't they know 
Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. These friends are supposed to stand by his side. Jesus is like abandoned at this point. He's by himself. Can't even trust on his closest friends. Watch and pray. Watch and pray so that you'll not fall into temptation. The word temptation can be translated trial or testing. It's most likely that. In other words, we've got a trial coming, you guys. It's just around the corner. It's just about to happen. I've been predicting it. And it's about to happen. And you're not ready for it. Watch and pray. The temptation, the trial's coming. I just told you you're going to fall away. Wake up! The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. That's why we have to discipline ourselves. Without discipline, we're going to fail. When pressure comes, if you don't have the discipline of prayer, the discipline of walking with God, the discipline of of knowing his truth, the discipline of of not allowing your flesh to dictate how I'm going to spend my day, but no, I'm your servant. How am I going to serve this day? The discipline of following Christ, not in a a cold way, but in an Abba Father way. I want to follow you. That we're not going to stand up under pressure. Okay, okay. So once more he went away, probably another hour. And he prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping. Wow. As their eyes were heavy, you know, the flesh is weak. By things like fasting is a forgotten discipline, but it helps us to tame our flesh so our flesh doesn't master us. They didn't know what to say to him. (laughs) Once more he went, uh, returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? It's over, enough. The hour we've been waiting for that I've been saying isn't here yet, it's come. This is the hour. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners, out of the hands of the Father, and into the hands of sinners to do what they want with him. This is going to be Satan's delight. He's going to rip the Son of God to shreds. And if I was him, I'd be running for the hills. He doesn't want to go here. Well, look what he says. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. The phrase in the middle, let us go, is incredibly powerful. It's literally a military term. It's not used in normal Greek language. You don't see it in Greek literature. It's a military term. And what it means is it's a commander saying, everyone get up into battle. What does it mean? Jesus has prepared himself. Brett, our elder over here, uses the term being pre-prayed. That's what Jesus did. In a little bit of time he had before the testing was coming, he prepared himself. How? Through prayer. And he's ready. to mar- He doesn't run the other way. He goes right into it because he's ready. The Father has made him ready. The disciples, they spent the time catching up on their sleep. We're going to see they're not ready. They're going to fail. Let me ask you, close out. What's your olive press? What's your olive press? 
We all have them. If you're in a moment in your life right now where everything's going pretty good, well, enjoy it and just thank God. Okay? Thank God because it's coming. Sooner or later, the olive press is coming. Relationship struggles, work discontentment, emotional, mental distress, spiritual crisis, they're there. They're real. And the first thing you need to know is God knows what it's like to be in the Jesus knows what it's like to be in the olive press. And he has tremendous compassion for anyone who is in the olive press. And he knows how to help you bear up. He knows. Trust him. Trust him. He can get you through. So just, Lord, as we close here, I just pray you touch hearts. And I just pray if there's an olive press in people's lives, we'd be honest about it. Help us to really think about this. Instead of just walking right out and going into robotic mode again, Lord, help us to watch, walk watchful and prayerful. Help us to walk with our Abba. You're with us in these trials. And you know how to get us through. First, we've got to admit we're in an olive press. Help us to be willing to do that to begin with. Thank you, Jesus, that you know what it's like to be under pressure. You know what it's like to suffer. And you are a compassionate Savior. And you call us to come to you and find strength and life and grace. Thank you, Lord. Go before us. Help us to bear up under our olive presses by your great power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Things, I, my time's up, but let me last. These are my, you might want to take a picture of it. These are my main points from this morning. If you're going to bear up under intense pressure, you've got to humbly admit you can't do it yourself. Don't be like Peter. Second H, huddle up with faithful friends. You need people that you're open with. Don't go in isolation. Third H, honestly admit how you feel to God. He can take it. Jesus is totally transparent. You can be totally transparent. Look at the Psalms of lament. We have to learn how to lament. Lament is not wrong. It's okay to say, God, I'm mad at you right now. He wants you to be honest. He can work with honesty. Four, hold on to Jesus through being pre-prayed. Prayer is not about getting what we want, but aligning with our Father's heart. Not my will, but your will. If we align with our Father's heart, we will be able to bear up. And finally, Hudson Taylor, who was a great missionary and knows what it's like to be under tremendous pressure, lost his wife, his children, his reputation, while trying to bring the gospel to China for 40 years. He once said this about pressure, and I'll end with this. It does not matter how great the pressure is. Did you hear that? It doesn't matter how great the pressure is. What really matters is where the pressure lies. Whether it comes between you and God, or whether it presses you nearer to his heart. It's where the pressure lies, between us or pushing us together. It's one or the other. May it push us together the way it did Jesus with his Abba. Walk with your Abba. He can give you strength in your olive press. Amen. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you. You can come on up.